The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I'm excited to welcome Tim Hoskins, who is the president of Quester, which is an insights and strategy company. Welcome, Tim. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm great. All things considering, I'm great. I love your energy. You have such a good vibe about every time I see you, you're like, something's cooking, something's happening, you're working on something. Is that just your DNA? I think so. I mean, my parents would tell you so. That I grew up and my mom always used to say I was a bull in a china closet. <laughs> and I never really understood what that meant until I had my second child, who is Eva, is three years old. And I remember calling my mom and I said, okay, now I know what you mean. It's the energy and it's nonstop. That's great. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to becoming president of Quester. That's a great question. The journey started when I was in college and needed a job because I had ran out of money. Okay. In college, you ran out of money? I ran out of money in college, spent a little bit too much uh, <laughs> you know, on books and things like that, right? But I saw an ad in the paper and it said, we needed a lead generation specialist. And so I said, cool. I went into the interview and it was for an information security startup. I worked there in college two years and post-college was hired on to the company, started out as a sales rep. And in the startup world, you get to do everything. Yeah, that's the beauty of a startup. It is. And I, I didn't like not knowing the answers. So I, over the weekend, I read the entire manual front to back. And then I started taking all of the developers out to lunch, <laughs> picking their brains as to why they developed this and what this meant. So that led to me becoming the sales engineer. And then my final role there was product manager, where I was actually doing a lot of research. Des Moines, Iowa, where I live, is a small community. And the business community is small. And at the time, I was reached out to by a consultant who was doing some work for Quester. And they said, Tim, you got to take a look at this company. So I met the owner and we really hit it off. And so I decided to leave the startup world and go to what I thought was, okay, this is a 40-year-old company and has a great solution, great set of clients. And little did I know I was joining what I called a 40-year-old startup. So worked in client services. I was head of sales and and marketing, and then was promoted, I think it's been about five or six years ago now, to the president. Congratulations. That's a great yeah. journey. And you talk about Quester being a 40-year-old startup. I mean, 40 years is a long time for a company to exist and, and thrive. What's the history of Quester? And I mean, clearly it's repositioned from when its initial start was to where it is today. It truly is a, is a fascinating story. The founder, Dr. Charles Cleveland, was a professor at Drake University, which is a college in Des Moines. And he started the company as a communications company with the foundation of linguistics. They did for years, they did qualitative research, and that's what they specialized in. 
in the pharma industry, hospitality, consumer packaged goods. And they would always apply linguistic analysis techniques to help drive communication. And the founder at the time really had this dream of being able to someday for executives on the client side to look at a qualitative insight with the same confidence as a quantitative insight. Okay. And not get the question of, well, wait a minute, how many people actually? Is this reliable? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what started this dream of developing a software-based moderator. And that started in the early 2000s. Dr. Cleveland passed away um, suddenly in, in 2005. The company was then purchased by three partners. Uh, one of them at the time was the CFO, uh, Robert Lewis, who is still uh, the owner today. And they kept pushing forward with the technology. With the same vision. Same vision. And they kept pushing and pushing. And in 2006, they launched the first version, which did not have artificial intelligence in it. It was a very simplistic software that essentially asked an open-ended question and delivered a hard-coded generic follow-up question of tell me more about that, or that sounds interesting, I'd like to hear more. But in 2011, they developed artificial intelligence or started to develop the AI, and the team has been working on it ever since to where it is now today, where it fully automates a one-on-one -on -one interview, up to 30 to 40 minutes with a consumer, chat-based, or the consumer can leverage their voice dictation software in their phone. And we do qual that way, or we do quali-quant, but it's adapting like a human moderator would. It's analyzing their response, identifying that key or interesting idea that they're communicating, and then delivering a contextual-based follow-up question. I noticed that you said X, please tell me more about that. So it's really automating that moderator's guide, but having branches that can basically adapt to a consumer's response. Correct. And so the dream of the founder still lives on today, but now we've been able to realize it and push it even further because when we deliver our insights, whether they be quant or qual, if they are qualitative, it's conducted by hundreds, if not thousands of consumers. Got it. So when we've done our linguistic analysis and we've essentially quantified it, we can put a percentage that 32% of the people said this about their experience and know that that 32% is from a reliable sample. Yep. You're just capturing it in a different way, not a close-ended question. Very different. Right. That's exciting. It's exciting. It wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. Sure. It never is. We had our challenges. I always like to say that in 2011, in the industry... When I first started talking about AI and software moderators, I'll never forget being at a conference and the look in people's faces. I really think if everybody in the crowd had a fruit or a vegetable, I think half of the crowd would have thrown them at me, which is totally fine. And, but the industry wasn't ready for it in 2011. We were lucky that we had, there are always those clients out there that they're pioneers that they know that you can't answer the same problem with the same solution every single time. And, you know, we value those people in the industry because they take companies like Quester and they give us a chance to prove ourselves. And it, we're able to deliver something that's unique and differentiating, then gives the rest of the market the confidence 
that we can do what we say we can. Yeah, I think those companies, there's definitely a, like a psychographic segmentation of those people and consumer insights at those companies who don't just want to keep things steady, but they want to continue to innovate and figure out how can they solve the problem, like you said, differently. And thank goodness for those people. Yes, God bless them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming and hosting services or consultation, we are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. So it's a company with many years under its belt. We're a family. You know, even though we've had and we've built this success, we still treat it as a startup. And we try to force ourselves to have the mentality of a startup each and every single day. I'll tell you a fun story, when it, and it kind of encapsulates the, both the challenges that we've had, but also who we are today, and it really explains some of the culture. So when I took over as president, we had been growing, and it was fantastic, and it's everything that you'd ever want. But there was just that feeling that something wasn't there. There wasn't that stickiness that was holding us all together. And in 2000, I believe in 17, we had lost one of our largest clients due to a reorg. And that was a tough time in our business. You sit around and you look and you're like, everything that we've built, all of a sudden you're back into this scrappy mentality. And it was the best and worst thing that ever happened to us. The best part about it was that it forced us to look at all of those years and realized and admit to ourselves that we had actually lost sight of who we were as a company. We were so focused on growth that we let some of those foundational aspects of who we are kind of whittle away. You sacrifice those values or beliefs. Absolutely. And so I was on the, this is how the trip, this all started. I was headed to a vacation. A hurricane bud was bearing down where we were going. My wife and I re uh, diverted our trip and we went to the Dominican Republic. Tim Ermston, uh, the CEO of Seek, had been talking to me about reading this book called The Founder's Mentality. And I was walking through the airport at the bookstore, grabbed it, got on the plane, hit the beach, and my wife was reading a book and I was reading a book. And I started texting my senior management team like, and just saying, guys, I think I found our answer. Wow. And they kept writing me back, Tim, you're supposed to be on vacation. <laughs> but every page I kept reading, I got more and more exciting. Because at that time, honestly, I was questioning whether or not I was the right leader for Quester. And that's a really hard thing to admit. But those were the feelings I was having. Was I the, did I have the right vision? Was I motivating people in the right way? Did people still believe in what we were doing? And to the outside world, everybody was seeing Questers, this growing company. Everything's amazing. And it's amazing what you could, you know, if you just look at a house, you think everything is perfect. Sure. Yeah. So the founder's mentality was great for us because it really focused us on what is our insurgent mission? 
What is the reason for our existence? Why do you exist? Why do we exist? Why do we get out of bed excited every single day? What makes everyone excited is when you see that new product launch. Yeah. When you can go back and say, we actually helped identify that job in the market, the consumers had unmet needs fulfilling that job, and we helped that company all the way along the innovation pipeline, and bam, your friends are talking about using this brand new product, and you can proudly say, we did that. You were a part of that. Yeah. Or watching a commercial on TV and knowing that your foundational research found the brand positioning that fueled that creative. We just had it the other day. We were very excited to learn that we were, this is our fourth Ogilvy Award that we've won. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And it was based off of our linguistic segmentation that we conducted for a client. And it allowed them to find a new way into a very specific segment. And even though they were the market leader, it helped them grow. And so those are the things that we realize that we all get excited about. It's that business result. And there, you can't have a business result unless you have strong and differentiated insights. Sure. And you can't get strong and differentiated insights unless you have a different methodology to collect and analyze data. And so we went from being a company that really talked about a mission around collecting and analyzing different data, and we really just flipped it. You went to the results. And we became a company that talked about results, and it still drives us today. Um, you'll start to see new positioning and branding with Equester that we are going to hyper-focus on business results. And the journey to how we get there, we'll always be able to explain but what we want to stand for is the company that delivers business results. So tell me, you got to the answer of why you exist, which I love what you stated. What happened next? Uh, what happened next was excitement. Okay. Everybody was excited. And I think everyone had a sigh of relief too, because we started to have those honest conversations of, I'm so glad that we were able to get here because I wasn't seeing it. You probably were relieved. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> at some level, you're relieved, and at some level, you're like, wow, I was really screwing it up. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a relief, and it was exciting. But then we had a follow-up meeting in 2018, and our senior team met again, and we analyzed everything. And even though we said in 2017 that this is the company that we wanted to become, and we wanted to stand for, we really weren't living it, right? We said it. You always have those big revelations and those raw moments, but then it's like, what are you going to do about it? And so we sat down, we wrote ground rules. We said that we were going to focus on these very specific types of business problems that ultimately tie back to the very specific frameworks that we excel in. And we talked about how we're not going to be all things to all people. We aren't going to focus on very specific types of validation research that the digitization and the technology advancements that other companies in our industry are making are doing it far better, far faster, and far more affordable. We were going to move upstream and everything that we were going to do as a company, both outside and inside, was going to reflect that. So we changed our marketing. We doubled down on strategic insights. We 
hyper-focused our team. One of the things in the founder's mentality is they talk about these kind of micro battles and micro battles are you identify a problem or a challenge, you quickly deploy a team and it's a cross-functional team and you identify the problem, you identify the different solutions and you actually start implementing them right away. Okay. And that team is empowered. And that team is empowered. That team is empowered to present the solution to the senior management team. We refine it together, but we don't kick it back down. We start going. And we did a number of those micro battles, everything from our multi-country projects to the way we go about doing analysis, how we structure the communication between our client services team and our research directors. We had several of them and we lived and breathed it. And we implemented a lot of changes in a year. And I look back on it and we were kind of crazy. The number of changes in one year that we embarked upon in 2018 and 19, but now I look at the results in 2020 and we have the most success in any year that I've been here in terms of both client feedback and business results. Just what you stand for. Our research teams, our client services teams, our operations teams, everybody across the business is dialed in right now. We all know exactly the lanes that we're supposed to stay in, but they're not bright lights. They're, you, we allow the freedom and the flexibility. I've never been more proud of our teams. I mean, been disrupted. Everyone has been disrupted this year, whether it's you're working in an office or you're all working from home or timelines and flexibility, but they've stayed committed to what we stand for and have delivered on it each and every time. That's amazing. What is your rule of thumb in terms of how much is enough in terms of participation in an industry association? Oh gosh, I don't think that there's ever enough. I think it's how much desire do you have? And you know, I came into this industry nine years ago and I remember going to a couple of conferences and I won't name them all, but I went to the couple of conferences and I felt alone. It was a very interesting feeling to be in a brand new industry. And not know anybody. Not know anyone. I feel very, very isolated because, and I'm not saying that that's true today, but my experience nine years ago was that in this industry, you were really judged at some level based on what brand or company you were attached to. It wasn't about technology nine years ago as much as it is now, but it was also based on the number of years of experience that you had, which makes sense. Research is is something that you can learn and do learn over time. I remember being at a marketing research association event and I remember, and as you can tell, I'm a pretty outgoing person. I like to meet people. I probably talked to a brick wall, but I remember uh, a gentleman came up to me and said, you look lost. And I said, well, not really, but uh, is this is the networking event. He goes, it absolutely is. He goes, come over here. He goes, I've never seen you here before. I'm going to introduce you to everyone. And that sparked off this kind of realization that involvement in industry associations is vital for both your personal and your professional development. I remember going and one of my mentors and friends was a gentleman by the name of Ed Sugar. And I remember going up to Ed and telling him I wanted to get involved. And he introduced me to Alice Butler, who managed uh, or oversaw all of the education 
at that time. And that was my way in. And well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been fun. And, you know, like I told you at the beginning, I've never done this before. I'm honored that this is the first time you're on a podcast and you are on my podcast. So thank you. Well, I greatly appreciate the invitation and the discussion. And, you know, please keep doing this because it really is important to hear from different perspectives. And in a time where we're all very, very disconnected because of the pandemic, it's the number one thing I hear from clients and even, you know, my colleagues at Quester and business partners is, is that they miss that time. It's that unstructured time at a conference where you run across somebody that you, you might see once or twice a year. And you catch up. And you catch up. I totally agree. And so, you know, I think that the podcast is great for people right now because it's giving us that little bit of insight that sometimes we need. Maybe it's a small pivot in our business. Maybe it's a large pivot, right? But something in here always sparks somebody's imagination and creativity. So thank you for giving back to all of us. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.